0: Lundquist Faust, co-president of Houston Pet Set. Tama Lundquist, co-president of Houston Pet Set
1: with Oh, and I'm Lisa Tynan. I'm the marketing and special events specialist for Houston Pet Set.
0: So we are here today with a really interesting and fun guest. Um, Dr. Elizabeth Perlman is a forensic veterinarian for the ASPCA. Hi, Dr. Perlman.
2: Hi, thank you so much for having me. Really appreciate your time.
0: Yes, and um, the reason we got connected is you and Lisa worked at the SPCA in Houston a few years back, correct? Yep.
1: We overlapped for, what, a year, I think? Absolutely. Yes. (laughs) Became the closest of friends. It was
2: a lot of fun. It was.
0: (laughs) Nice, nice. Well, we'll jump right into it. Um, We're so glad to have you here, and what an interesting job. You're a forensic veterinarian. Um, Tell us a little bit about what that means.
2: Sure. So, um, as a forensic veterinarian, I have let me back up a little bit. I was always attracted to shelter medicine as um, a veterinary student, even pre-vet student, um, and I never really fully understood what my draw to shelter medicine was until I had an externship with the Houston VCA. and then I also had an externship with the New York ASPCA. Um, While I was with the Houston SPCA, I was able to, um, be a participant with the incoming cruelty cases, um, and investigations. And I found that I was drawn to them. Um, but I didn't realize that that could potentially be its own field. And so when I did my second externship with the New York ASPCA, I specifically worked for four weeks alongside their forensic to veterinary forensic team. And I realized that, um, this is my draw to shelter medicines. We have all these animal welfare laws, but if nobody is able to enforce them or um, say, you know, this animal suffering based on X, Y, and Z, then those laws don't matter. And so I found a lot of passion and drive behind pursuing that. And so I was able to build my resume by working as an emergency veterinarian for a year, and then the Houston SPCA for a year. And then I landed my dream job with the ASPCA as a full-time forensic veterinarian.
0: Wow. Interesting. Well, good for you. It's, it's, a, it's a role that we need in this world, obviously. So um, from a veterinary perspective, what is the most um, common results of animal cruelty that you see? Is it neglect? Is it intentional abuse? Is it dog fighting? What do you see most often, Dr. Perlman?
2: Awesome. That's a really great question. I'd say in general practice, the majority of veterinarians are going to encounter cases of neglect. And neglect is an umbrella term for um, starvation, failure to provide veterinary care, um, severe hair matting that might be causing underlying issues. And so I'd say that that's the most, most common thing that veterinarians see on a day-to-day basis. Um, in my current role, I also investigate cases of neglect that we just talked about. I investigate cases of, um, at the request of law enforcement with, um, Cruelty cases, which might be sexual trauma, might be stabbings, gunshot, um, you know, the, the blunt force trauma or beating of animals, those kind of more grotesque issues that might come, arise, uh, might come about. And then I also am part of a team that we deploy nationally for investigation of substandard breeding, breeding operations like puppy mills um, hoarding cases, uh, dog fighting cases. So my, my casework is a little bit skewed because this is all that I do. (laughs) But when I was in private practice, I would say, and even at the Houston SPCA, I'd say, I'd say that I saw probably 80%, 75% neglect in some manner.
0: Wow. When you, when you talk about, um, all of your experience, you've been across the country and also in Houston, Did Houston seem different than other parts of the country? How does it compare as far as animal cruelty is concerned?
2: It's a really, really good question. Um, I think that how it compares is that what I see across the whole country, more than anything, is that there is... financial instability of investigating agencies, uh, whether that's animal control officers or law enforcement that is designated to investigate investigate cruelty, and they don't have the manpower to respond to the calls um, due to understaffing, underpay, you know, those kind of issues. And I, I appreciate that Houston in particular has quite a bit of tasks. They have the task force and then they have the Houston um, hotline, you know, SPCA hotline. And so there are resources that are available. I think the other thing across the the country that I see and I respect is that there's also a lack of um, veterinary care and access for routine prevention and um, wound repair. You know, that could easily be a $600 bill at a vet clinic when somebody might be facing do I pay rent or do I take care of my dog that just got in a fight? Um, and you know, resources as far as providing food um, or you know, like food banks for for animal clinics. So I think Houston is is fairly progressive in that matter with Laurel's House and what the amazing work that you guys are doing, um, and being a service to underserved communities that otherwise wouldn't be able to provide services or have access to those services.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. That makes sense. How do the animal laws play into this? Do you feel like they are strong enough? You just said that that um, we don't have enough enforcement, but are the laws strong enough?
2: I, You know, I think that that's a complex question. There's a lot of layers to it. Um, And I think that if we can enforce what laws do exist, that would be a great start. And we can keep adding more laws. And if we're adding more laws, but they're already not the basics are not being necessarily assessed, then we're not really gaining ground, if that makes sense. Um, I think that, you know, Houston, Texas passing, I believe it's Houston passing the anti-tether law. That was a great step in the right direction. Um, And I wonder if I walk through a neighborhood in Houston, how many dogs are still tethered out. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, you know, they're, I think making laws and progressing in the right direction, nobody could ever be upset about that. Right. Uh, but we're still facing the same, the same barriers that were in place, even with the just providing shelter or water for dogs that are there tethered out there.
0: Right. That makes sense. And I think you're talking about SB five, the, um, the, out, um, adequate outdoor dog act. So that was the adequate shelter act. That was something that was passed statewide that, um, disallowed chains, <clears throat> excuse me, for the first time in any state in the U.S. So dogs are no longer allowed to be on any type of chain. And they're also, the law also defined adequate shelter, which in a state like Texas where it can get down to 20 degrees and it can go up to 110, we know shelter is so, so important. Um, Backing up just a little bit, and I hope this stays within our the confines of our, our question Um that are permissible, but, um, you talked about, um, um, neglect and how, you know, people don't have access to veterinary care. They don't have maybe access to, um, groomers, you know, even excessive matting can be considered cruelty. Um, how do, you know, do you think that people are aware that neglect falls into, um, actual cruelty?
2: I love these questions that you're asking. (laughs) I wish that I could, um, just bring you guys everywhere. So, uh, cruelty is an overall umbrella term. And then underneath cruelty, we have, uh, you know, different forms of it in a way. Um, oftentimes I think people associate cruelty with more of direct intentional, um, but there can be forms of cruelty that would be like an embedded collar. So they didn't expand the collar as the dog is growing. Um, and it can progress into cruelty, if that makes sense, kind of like a gradient. Um, and so, I think that it it's a little bit of a complex answer, and I don't know if there's one straightforward mm-hmm. response to that. Do you have any thoughts on that?
0: Mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. we I, yeah. We see a lot of neglect, mm-hmm. and um we too believe that it. We believe that people are do it unintentionally. Like mm-hmm. it's something that, for lack of a better term, just gets away from them. Mm-hmm. Say you have a somebody that's maybe a senior and they're 75, 85, 95 years old and their dog, they can't, they're not able to get it to the groomer for um, grooming. And it just becomes so bad that they be, and they, they're kind of um, unaware of the complications that it's causing for the animal. So, I mean, you have those benign forms of neglect that are legally, you know, defined as cruel. But then you also have people that we see all too often their ribs are showing on their animals. And at some point you have to know that a dog that is so thin that you can count all of its ribs is starving. And that is neglect to the point of cruelty. So like you said, it's a gradient. And there's a gray area too, where the standard is just so different. People don't don't, um, their culture might not look at animals the way I look at my animal, who is a Absolutely. member of the family. And so they're, they might be, um, you know, my dog is right there with me in, in that inner circle, their next circle out might be, you know, their their family and friends and, and their, their dogs are like so far removed from being a family member just because that's the way their culture might be that they don't realize that an outdoor dog is okay as long as the weather is, is comfortable for that dog. But they just think an outdoor dog belongs outdoors and it doesn't matter the weather conditions and they don't really consider it because they've never really thought about it. And so there's that unintentional un, not uneducated, but just that unconscious, um, cruelty also that happens i think there's no intent and there's no lack of resources it just they just don't think about their animals the way we do I and i, I shouldn't i want to i want to specify animals as pets we're not talking livestock we're not talking wildlife which are different categories these are these are domesticated animals
2: and well, that's great to to specify because again um I think one of the challenges with laws and whether we're advancing them or where we're at is that there's no standard law for anything. So here animal is defined as X and then you go and another state might define it as completely something different, excluding insects or wildlife or, you know, that there's no... Broad term of defining animal. There's no broad term legally of cruelty, um, and it varies state by state and potentially even county by county. Mm-hmm. Um, and you said something super interesting that really came up for me during Hurricane Harvey, in that when I was working with Houston SPCA, and um, you know we had response for Hurricane Harvey is there was an outpour of people looking to adopt these dogs that were left behind or abandoned or, you know, got disconnected from the storm. And a lot of people, the spectrum of animals and quality of the animals that were coming in varied so greatly because in Houston and in, in the outer, outer counties, a lot of people tie a dog up in the yard. They don't provide heartworm prevention and that's their idea of a dog. And that's their idea of a pet. And for somebody who is passionate or, um, has resources or whatever it has just a different definition of pet, they are viewing that as now neglectful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's so, it's again, very, very interesting. And you hit on a great point that there's no definition of pet and quality of care for a pet. Right. And I think that as long as we're continuing to maintain food, water, shelter and adequate vet care, I think that's a good baseline to start at. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. You were going to say I, something. Yeah. Something that you, that you mentioned in in all of this, and, and Dr. Perlman, you brought it up too uh, when you talked about investigating hoarding. Um, there is intentional neglect. There is accidental neglect. There is also the factoring in mental illness mm-hmm. of humans. Mm-hmm. And um, can you put somebody on the stand and accuse them of animal cruelty when they are mentally ill and in their own minds what they're doing is not cruelty. They think what they're doing is right. And right. It, it makes it even more complicated, I think, to to define what is cruelty, what should be, and what should not be prosecuted. And it makes the laws even harder to enforce.
0: Right. I think that, oh, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Sorry.
2: I'll, I'll speak to that as well in that I, um, that's something that comes up for veterinarians that are considering reporting or possibly reporting animal abuse. So Texas is not a mandated state where if there's suspected cruelty, a veterinarian is not required to report, but a veterinarian in Illinois may be required to report, is required to report because it's a mandated state. Um, and with hoarding, one thing that I hold near and dear is it's not up to me to decide as a veterinarian, even y- y'all as lay people or like um, opinion witnesses In court, you guys don't decide whether somebody gets up there. Thankfully, that's off my shoulders, and that's on law enforcement, the judge, the jury to figure all that out, right? And I think that I've worked on enough hoarding cases where an owner may be oblivious to the environment that they're living in. And, you know, it might've started with two or three cats and then they're not spayed and neutered and it just gets out of hand quickly. But for the hoarder, it's their day-to-day and they may not realize how severe things have declined. Mm -hmm. Um, And in addition to removing the animals from that house, because it's, dangerous for the animal in there. We're also saying it's equally as dangerous for the human. And there may be resources that otherwise may not be available to that individual, like adult protective services, um, social security, you know, contacts, even um, veterans that may need assistance that are unaware of what mental health services are available. Uh, In addition to that, having access for a judge to determine, hey, this is, you know, a large scale hoarding. What happened is not okay. And I'd like for you to have a mental health evaluation, which could open up even more support for an owner that otherwise would be under a radar and not having any service. So I I agree. And it can be very challenging because what is the mental health, but thankfully that's not in our hands. (laughs) And I feel very relieved about that. I just stick to my job and what I know to be the facts. And then, you know, the ethical part of it, it, it's not on my, my shoulders to figure out. Mm -hmm.
0: I think that, COVID, too, has added another layer. You brought up um, mental health, and I think that because of COVID, a lot of people have been pushed to kind of areas where they didn't ever think they'd be, uh, desperation. And we are seeing so much animal abandonment in Houston these days because people are financially insecure. They can no longer afford their rent. They're moving. There's no place. Our shelters have gone to managed intake, which – seems um, not, not fair in an, um, when they're mandated to be open intake. And so people don't have a place for their animals to go. We get emails every single day saying, I need to place my animal. What can I do? There aren't enough resources. And so what they wind up doing is leaving them behind in an apartment, in a house. Unfortunately, the ones that Cross over, leave them in. We've seen animals left in, in crates and in in kennels, and they don't survive. You know, they die of thirst and starvation and just you know, and that's horrible. But I think that we have even you know this new kind of layer on us, and we're wondering if you're seeing that across the country too, where um, COVID has kind of added another another layer of um, cruelty.
2: I've seen, or I I don't directly have any experience with that because I work only under the um, supervision of a law enforcement. So I'm not working with day-to-day shelter medicine or intake of, you know, um, shelter animals. Um, But I've heard mixed reviews about published reports saying that they are finding that there's an influx of um, animals post-COVID or, you know, inter-COVID. And then I've also heard that there is not. So I don't know what to believe at this time. I'm hearing, again, one um a- that friend of mine sent me two articles in the same email, one saying that there is and one saying that there's not. So <laughs> I'm not sure exactly where I stand on that. I haven't done enough research, and I also don't have boots immediately on the ground to be able to differentiate it. I wouldn't be surprised, though, right? People are losing their jobs. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a tough economy, or they've been let go, and how are they going to afford rent or downsizing and then also maintaining the care of their pet?
0: Great. Yeah. And once again, um, I'm Tina Lundquist-Faust, co-president of Houston Pets Tama. T-
1: and I'm Lisa Tynan, Marketing Special Events.
0: <laughs> this, we're, today we're with Dr. Elizabeth Perlman. She is a forensic veterinarian of the ASPCA. So great topics so far. Thank you. What, um, what do you think people can do? What can animal lovers do, Dr. Perlman, if they see cruelty? Um, what, and what can they do in their community um, to help people that are maybe neglectful or borderline on intentional cruelty?
2: That's great. I think that there is multiple prongs of approach that we can kind of take with this. Um, As we previously mentioned briefly, you know, knowing your community and knowing what services are available may be a step in the right direction to say, or even just have like uh, business cards or write a note, hey, there's a pet food bank here open on these days and just slipping it in someone's door or mailbox um, and that's like a non-judgmental way of trying to help that individual to access food or water for their pet, or, or food, or you know, um, enrichment, or whatever is needed for that pet, or low-cost vet services, right? Um, and then also being aware that if there's um, a, a situation unfolding where there's active abuse occurring, so a neighbor's beating an animal across the apartment complex on their back patio, if it's safe to do so, being able to record that. Um, And I'm not saying that as a lawyer, so I would recommend checking with local law of Houston, Um, but recording to be able to see so that there's, it's a black and white thing of this individual is being seen on this camera, beating this animal at at this time, you know, so it's not so much of a, a he said, she said, there's actual proof to back up the location and where it is and the animal involved. Um, And then as far as neglect, um, this is a really tough one, but for animals that don't have access to food or water by, An individual seeing that, you know, I think all of us can appreciate that we're in this field, and we are. And people listening to the podcast love animals, right? Mm -hmm. That's why we're here. Um, But it can be hard to see an animal that is doesn't have water. And as an individual bystander, we want to provide them with water. We want to provide them with food that's not being provided. But by doing that, we're actually tainting the crime scene. And so, if we report that an animal is starving, and then you put out a bowl of food, and the officer comes around to check your complaint, and they see a bowl of food. That's no longer a valid a valid cause. Even right. if you're saying, "Hey, I'm the one that put it down," it's now teaching. They don't know it's he said versus she said for putting down food. Um, so again, right. it's it's um, being cognizant of where the law law has to do what they have to do to be able to perform their investigation. And then the other thing that I think is important is to be able to call and be aware of who to call for suspected cruelty stuff, um, neglect and cruelty. So um, Houston SPCA or the the task force for Houston area and knowing those numbers and just having them ready in your phone um, and then following up with them and just know that as a caller, you may not get the response that you want. So, if okay. Lisa's beating an animal and I want an update on it, there's an active investigation. I have given my my report that she's beating an animal, but I doesn't necessarily mean I get up to date right. information about. Hey, yeah. we just interviewed her. That's all confidential information. So, just being patient with law enforcement, and not um, grinding them down, because I guarantee you they're overwhelmed. They're doing their job, um, and just being patient, but be, knowing that you can follow up and say, "Hey, just wondering, you know, is this case moving forward?" Kind of thing.
0: When we. When we were um, part of the task force, and and we did help start that task force, that was one thing we tried to convey to the public is, like 911, you don't get a call back saying, you know, hey, we we put out the fire, everything's okay, these people went to the hospital. (laughs) You don't get a report back. And this is a 911 for animals, so you're not going to get a report back, and you might not see things moving as quickly as you like. But being as under-resourced as we are in this city for law enforcement, for people, and for animals, um, they are doing the best that they can. They are getting there as quickly as they can. And sometimes the laws don't support the action that we would like to see taken. And so um, we used to get complaints all the time, well, you're not doing anything. Well, we don't have the law to support what we would like to do. So there's really a lot that goes into um, between making that call and seeing seeing action, there's a lot that has to happen in between that. So good point to make. Thank you.
2: Beautifully said. I absolutely love it. And I love that you drew the parallel between calling 911 and a fire getting put out. They're not going to call you back. I love that. I may have to start stealing.
0: <laughs> and now might be a good time to um, add that the task force number is 927 927- Pause 832 927 pause, or you can report online at 927 pause.org. So, those all of those um, calls and all of those reports do get looked at in Houston. We know that they do. So, um, for anybody that um, is listening, please record that and and put that in your phone and use that if you see um, suspected cruelty. So important because the people are the eyes and the ears for law enforcement, just like any other crime. The people have to be aware of what's going on around them. And to your point, I like the compassionate approach Mm -hmm. that if people just don't have the resources, be compassionate, think about the animal, think about the animal in need and maybe what the family is going through and do what you can to help. I think that we're seeing a trend in animal welfare where we're asking the community at large to do more, to help more. And, um, as much as we'd like to see our county and our city involved, it's, it's great to when um, neighbors, friends can stop the suffering of an animal and to help a family. So I think that's a I think it's a good trend in our communities and beyond.
2: Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Anything else we want to discuss? So do you miss us in Houston?
2: I do. Don't <laughs> tell my boss. No,
0: <laughs> what was your favorite part of Houston?
2: Oh, I just, everything about it. I love the outdoor activities. I love the dog friendly breweries or, you know, outdoor, Mm -hmm. like hangout restaurant spots. Uh, I love the big town. I'm from Chicago, Born and raised, So having big city access is just fun. There's always stuff to do. There's never a dull moment. And the food scene is on point. So
0: (laughs) one of our favorite places is Buff Brew, the, Mm -hmm. the outdoor, um, Brewery that and they allow us to have our, our gifting event there, but it's a great place for the
1: dogs. Yeah, beautiful. Give a little shout out to them. Yeah. <laughs> we'll take you next time you're in yes!
0: town. Well,
2: <laughs> well thank,
0: thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Perlman. It's really nice to know you and thank you for the work that you do on behalf of animals. Um, we didn't get into compassion fatigue, but um, bless you for the work that you do. It, it can't be easy, but we're grateful for people like you that are doing it.
2: Well, thank you so much. And hopefully we cross paths again in the future. It's wonderful, the work that you're doing. And I appreciate you guys having me on. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. bye Bye-bye. Bye-bye.